0: Let's thank you. Well, good morning. So good to be here. Um, like you said, I guess Chris Johnson was here last week. He told me that he told you that uh, they had invited Piper and he couldn't make it. And so, uh, so I just went online to Desiring God and copied one of his messages. So he, he is going to be here this morning. Uh, It really is a blessing to be back here. This is like coming back home. It's been, I think it was three years ago that uh, we brought part of our team down here in this building, then last year we did renew. Are you guys doing renew this year or next year? Okay, well, tell you what, so many good memories here, um, so many good friendships, and I see there's a lot of new faces here, so that's encouraging, too, to see how the gospel is Uh, continuing to work in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, especially at RGC. Um, We've lived long enough to where you realize that life has chapters, right? We had a chapter in Asheville, then we moved down here. This is a huge chapter in our life. Uh, I say this every time I get up here, but we raised our children here in the gospel, We spent time, I I left the ministry in Asheville, came down here, stayed here eight and a half years. We raised our children in this church, and we went back, and our children are up there leading it right now because of what was planted here. So this church has been so instrumental in our lives. I love Matt Rawlings, love Aaron, love the leadership. I mean, much of the leadership that was here when we first came is still here, and uh, so it's so encouraging to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles... We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13, and the title of my message this morning is, Is Your Tongue a Faith Sower or a Flamethrower? This is kind of a a diagnostic type message. Is your tongue a faith sower or a flamethrower? And Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James 3.5 says that the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And you know, our tongues form and launch words out into the air. And when they come and they land on the ears of those whom it was meant for, or, who, or, or for those who it was not meant for, they have the power, our words have the power to bring life or death, hope or despair, healing or hurt. And you know, when I was little, I learned this technique of how I could defend myself if someone launched words at me that were full of fire. And it was it went like this. If someone said something like James, you are selfish. I would say, "Well, look who's talking." You know what I'm talking about? Or James, you're so annoying." I'm like, "Me? Annoying?" I would say, Roger, I know you are, but what am I? And if they would say, James, you are a nerd, it takes one. Okay, your parents raised you right, just like they did me. Here's another one, and this is the one that's really powerful. Say something mean to me, I would say, I'm rubber, you're glue, what you say bounces off me and sticks to you. And then the one of all times was this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But if only that were true. Right? If only sticks and stones hurt more than words. Actually, some of the greatest wounds that I ever experienced in my life came not from sticks and stones, but from words. And also, I have given wounds with my mouth. Careless words, fiery words, have the power to melt the heart and to scorch the spirit. And the truth is, is is that our tongues are extremely powerful tools. So what we say and how we say it matters because death and life, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now I do want to be clear about what I mean when I say that death and life are in the power of the tongue because there is a new age teaching that teaches us, it's taught by by the word of faith preachers and they will say that our words are so powerful that we actually have the ability to speak things, to bring things into existence. So if you need a promotion at work, Don't wait for that promotion. Speak it into existence. If you need a cure for a disease and the doctor doesn't have one, don't worry. Just speak that uh, healing into existence. You need money? Call it. Money cometh unto me. There is a teaching that says that, you know, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, he did what? He spoke. He said, let there be Light and there was light, and, he, and then they will go on, which is true. That is true. Then they will say, "You were, you and I were created in the image of God." Right? That is true. The Imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. So they would say, "Therefore, we also have the ability to speak things into existence." We are, and they will say, "We are to call into existence the things that do not exist." And you know, part of that is in the Bible. That is a verse that's found in Romans 4, verse 17. Let me read it to you. It says, As it is written, I have made, this is Paul speaking, uh, talking about Abraham. He says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Who is calling the things into existence in that verse? God is, not man. But they will take that verse and say, therefore, we are to do the same thing. But it is clearly in this passage, we need to know the context of verses when we're quoting them. That is clearly talking about God. But when we, but when we do speak, we do need to understand that our, our words have power to positively and to negatively influence and shape the relationships that we have with one another. And that's that's what I want to focus on this morning. So in order to do so, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. And if you've not gotten there, while you're turning there, uh, just to give you a little bit of background about this, back in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to this man whose name is Abram. And he was 75 years old at the time. And Uh, God later changes his name to Abraham, but when he comes to him, he says, listen, if you will leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you three things. Number one, I'm going to give you that land. Number two, I'm going to give you a ton of descendants, and they're also going to get that land. And number three, he says, I'm going to make you a blessing and a your descendants, a blessing to the entire world. That came in, that that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he came into the world. That is also, it's known as the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham. So Abraham believed God, he obeyed him, he went to a place he did not know where he was going, and He he was, uh, from one person, God brought forth the nation of Israel. I know I'm sharing things with you guys that you already know. But we need to know the background of what Numbers is before we get get into the passage. So, as Abraham, he's dead, and his descendants, hundreds of years later, go into a, a nation called Egypt. And they're enslaved there for several hundred years, and God raises up a man named Moses, and he says, Moses, it's time. I'm going to send you into Egypt. I'm going to use you. You'll be my spokesperson to call my people out of Egypt, and I'm I'm going to take them to the land that I promised to Abraham. That's why it's called the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And in Numbers 13, Moses and the Israelites have been out in the desert for about a year and some change, a year and a month or so. And it's, in, it's important to understand that they're about to enter into the promised land. I mean, they are days away from entering into the promised land. And you might want to write this down that God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. That's something that we, we've got to hold on to if we're going to walk in faith, if we're going to serve our God, if we're going to live lives that bring glory to him, free from fear. We have to remember that God is always going to keep his word. But before he allows them to go into the land that he promised to Abraham, in chapter 13, verse 1, he instructs Moses to, to do something. And that's where we're going to pick up in our passage. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. That's important to, understand, to see here. God is giving them the land. Not that they are earning. This is a grace. This is grace right here. I'm giving this land to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So, God tells Moses, go to the 12 tribes, take one leader out of each tribe and send them into the land. In verses 3 through 25, Moses tells them to go into the land and he tells them to do three things. Number one, see what the land is like, whether it is good or bad. And also, number two, see what the people are like that are inhabiting the land. And he also told them to bring back some of the fruit. And it says that when the spies entered into the land, that they cut down a branch of grapes. And the cluster was so big, what they do? They took a pole, and it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes out. They also, when they came back, they brought back some pomegranates and some figs. And it, after the 40 days had ended. And in verse 26, it says, And they came to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. It was just as God had said. It was agriculturally rich. There was plenty of pasture land that they could let their uh, livestock graze, which would allow for them to have milk, lots of milk. And then the word honey there, a lot of times we think of the honeybee, but actually when you hear the word honey here, they're actually talking about the syrup extract that would flow from the dates and the figs as they hung on the tree. Bottom line is this, that the Lord had not exaggerated his promise to his people. This was a prosperous land that was flowing with milk and honey. But in uh, verse 28, the spies continue. It says, however, or but, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and besides, We saw the descendants of Anak. These were giant warriors of the day. Verse 29 says, The Amalekites dwell in the the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. This land was infested with enemies. So the spies are basically saying, Yes, this land is awesome. It's got great cities. Everything we could have ever hoped for is in there. But our enemies are so great, we can't take the land. Their report is a report of unbelief. They do not believe in God. But I love verse 30. It says, but Caleb, he's one of the 12 spies, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we all for we are well able to overcome it. It's so interesting, Caleb and also Joshua. Two guys, 12 spies, went into the land. They saw the same things. They experienced the same things. The difference is this. Caleb saw the enemy. It's not that he went, there's no enemy in there. He saw the enemy. He didn't act like nothing bad was in the land. He acknowledged that it was there. So as believers, we don't need to walk around and act like there's no enemy around here. Uh, God is so awesome. All we got to do is just talk about God. Now there is an enemy that is around. It's okay to acknowledge the enemy, but you need to make sure you're acknowledging the enemy in faith. Because when we do, the enemy is a defeated enemy and not one that is greater than us. So they, he, he sees the enemy. But he knew his God. He knew the greatness of his God. Caleb had faith. Caleb believed God. And so he was not afraid at all. And he is a faith. He's using his tongue to sow faith. Verse 31 says, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we are. They are continuing to, th- to throw flames of unbelief. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. They are basically taking God's blessing and seeing it now as a curse. Unbelief does that. Unbelief makes you miss what God wants to give as a blessing. So, so they say the land devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, And so we seemed to them. You see what they're saying there? They see the the giants, and they say, they seemed huge to us. And then they tell the congregation what the, the giants were thinking. And we seemed like grasshoppers to them. We were afraid of them, but they were not afraid of us. Faithless, faithless perception. This is a faithless perception of reality. A reality that was shaped by falsehood. Because actually, their enemies, those giants, were actually scared of them. They were scared of the spies. Now, you say, James, how do you know that? That's not in the passage. And I would say, that's right. I just feel like it. That's how I interpret. No, if you go, just making sure you guys haven't changed. Um, if you go to Joshua uh, chapter 2 this is after this is 40 years later after this event 40 years later Joshua after all the 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 10 spies had been put to death and and the first generation out of Egypt had been put to death God's like all right, we're going to enter in now and only two spies that were there Joshua and Caleb are going to go in and Joshua only sends in two spies this time okay he's like that that ain't going to happen again So he sends in two spies, and they go to, this is Jericho, they go to a lady's house named Rahab, right, a harlot. And look what she says. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in us. In any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Even Rahab, who had faith, could see the greatness of God. And without knowing it, God had already conquered their enemies with fear. The very thing that they were gripped with, God had already done it to their enemies. He was ready to give them the land, but because, it says in Hebrews 3.19, but because of their unbelief, they were unable to enter, enter into the land. And it makes me wonder, it makes me question my own life. How many times have I been unwilling To trust God in something or unwilling to obey him. Teenagers, the word of God says honor your parents that it may go well with you, right? Do you trust God that if you honor your parents that you're not going to miss out on whatever it is you think that they're trying to hold you back on? I promise you, your Instagram account is not going to take you anywhere, okay? Oh, it might. But uh, I want to encourage you, trust your parents. How about parents of of small kids? The Word of God says train up a child in the way they should go. Spend time with your children, raise them. Don't miss this season. Yeah, but everything's coming down. I've got to take care of all this other stuff that's going on. I'll get to it. Trust God. Spend time with your family. Or how about if you're single? And, and you just don't see anyone in the horizon, but there's, there's a guy or girl that they're not a believer, you'll be unequally yoked, but hey, they love you, that we'll deal with the other things once we get to the other side of, this, of marriage. Things like that, that we would just trust God, that God loves us, that he has a promised land for us. Sometimes it's not in this life of what we're wanting, but in the end, if we trust in him, we will not be put to shame. And in this passage, these people, these 10 spies, and the rest of the congregation were trusting in themselves instead of God, who promised He was going to give them the land. But because they trusted in themselves, they saw that it was impossible. And we can often come to circumstances in our families, in our health, in our work, in our relationships that seem overwhelming and impossible. And we might be tempted to think, God is not in this. Where is God in all of this? And don't, don't give, if you're, if you're counseling someone and they're struggling with their faith, let me, let me help you know what not to say. Don't tell them that God will never give you more. Than you can handle. Have you ever heard, if you, how, how many of you have ever heard that? God will never give you more than you can handle. Listen, I have given that with passion to people, right? Only to find out that that's not in the Bible. Uh, I was confusing that with 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you need to know, understand God loves giving you more than you can handle. That's a, that's a gift of love. And listen, anytime you choose, it is a choice, anytime you choose to step out in faith and follow God, there is going to come a time where God tests you. You know, it's amazing when, you, when, you, when God calls you to do something, a lot of times there's a lot of excitement. You know, you're like, the song that's going in, in your heart, what is it? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. You know, every knee will bow before him. So you march out of Egypt into the wilderness, right? Then what song do you, you start getting thirsty. You start getting hungry. You start uh, getting weary. And what song is it? Nobody knows the troubles I've seen, right? It's because God allows things greater than us To come upon us. He is faithful to do that. We need to quit thinking, okay, once I get past this, the rest of my life is just vacation. I love, where's Aaron? He didn't even end here. I love, oh, there he is. Okay, I judged you. I judged you. Forgive me. All right, we're good. (laughs) I loved you telling that Matt had issues every day. I loved hearing that. Not for the sake of him having issues, but that God is faithful Do not think that once you get to a certain point of this life that it's all over, that there's no more problems, there's no more issues, right? If we're going to follow God, he's going to be so faithful to make sure that we have more than we can handle. Guaranteed. And that's where we're tested. Our faith is tested. Am I going to persevere? Am I going to trust you, Lord? Why does he do that? One of the answers is in Second Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9. Paul says this. He's talking about some of his missionary journeys. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We thought we were literally going to die. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And here's why. Here's why. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And the question we have to ask ourselves, okay, here's the test. Am I going to walk by faith, or am I going to walk by sight? If we walk by sight, when things are going the way we want them to go, God is awesome. When the when the tragedies come, hardships, where are you, God? That's sight. Faith says, I'm trusting your word. I'm trusting God. I'm not gonna get on that roller coaster. And you know, this past year, talking to some of you in the as I was coming in this morning, this past year has really been a difficult season for for me and my family in, in the church plant, you know, we left here, our God is a lion. And he is a lion. We sing that, you know, God is a lion. Um, but there's, it's been a very difficult year. And there's times I'm just like, I don't know if I want to go on, if I can go on or if I want to go on. And I have to get deep into the word of God. And here's one, here's something that's been helping me. Here's a, here's a, a, a scripture that's helped me. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, James chapter 1, because when he or she has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to him. We have got to know the word of God and persevere in the word of God. That's, and it, it causes parts of us to die and other parts of us to come to life. And so God in this passage was calling them to trust in him and not in themselves. uh, And we jump into chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Why were they weeping? Because of the the report of the ten spies. The ten spies had come back and set ablaze a fire of unbelief within the congregation congregation and that's what happens when we're led by our feelings and our emotions verse 2 says and all the people of Israel grumbled against Matt and Aaron <laughs> I mean Moses the whole congregation said to them oh would we have died at the Marriott <laughs> we almost dead didn't we right Where was I at? Let's see here. The whole God. Okay, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Really? And then look. So they they turn on on, uh, Moses and Aaron and then look who they turn on next. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Unbelief. Unbelief. Makes you suspicious of your leaders and of God. Is okay, what's God doing here? Our wives and our our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to, to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And I'm glad I'm not like that, aren't you? Ha, ha, ha. I can so relate to them, can't you? I, hope you? I hope you can, but that you repent when you can, right? Okay, so the point I want to make here is when you're tired, when you're weary, when you're in the desert, and you're in the wilderness, and you're, you're tempted by fear and anger and discouragement, don't make any big decisions. Do not make big decisions. And get people around you who are in a good space that can help keep you stay steady, okay? Who are going to sow words of faith and truth into you. Don't make any major decisions because you become an irrational creature when you are walking in unbelief. And the unbelief of the few ignited a wildfire that ravaged through the entire congregation. The second thing, first thing is don't make any big decisions. Second thing there is Don't spread what you're feeling to the rest of the congregation. That is not from God. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Verse 5 says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel. Okay, they're about to speak words of truth, of faith. The land which we pass through to spy it out is is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, if we will walk by faith, if we will trust him, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel, only do not rebel against the Lord. How are they going to rebel against him? By not trusting in his word. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. In in other words, we're going to eat them for breakfast their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See what, the, the, what faith is going on in the, in the hearts of Joshua and Caleb? It is so powerful. They, they don't fear these guys in front of them because they fear God. They see God and they trust God. And they have chosen that they are not going to walk by fear. And, and once again, grumbling is contagious. Grumbling is destructive. Grumbling is divisive. And if you know the rest of the story or the account here, you know that God disciplines this generation and causes them to go out into the, the wilderness. They were days away from entering in, they, He disciplines them for 40 years, and they actually get what they had requested they get to die in the wilderness. As they had said, it would be better for us to die in the wilderness, and the Lord's like, okay, I'm gonna give you what you want. Except for Joshua and Caleb, because they, cho- they chose to walk by faith. So back to the original question that we started with, is your tongue a faith sower or a flame thrower? In other words, when you listen to your self-talk, are you someone who brings life, or are you someone who brings death, faith, or fear, encouragement, or discouragement? Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, that whatever fuels your heart is what's going to fuel your tongue and your mouth is a smoke detector of your heart. And so when you hear yourself grumbling, complaining, gossiping, slandering, and spreading discouragement, you can be assured that there is a fire going on that has been, de- that has been kindled in your heart. And if you don't put it out, if you don't get it put out, you're going to burn yourself, and you're going to burn others. And so the first thing that you need to do is you need to listen to yourself talk. Diagnose what's coming out of your mouth on a regular basis. And the key is not to just simply change things, change the way you talk. I once knew a lady that, um, she's in Asheville, so there's no one in here. Uh, she would, uh, she would, um, was very controlling, but she would talk very, very softly. Softly, you know, but you could just feel the the control that was coming. Even though she was talking real soft, there was a lot of control. She had not; her heart needed to be changed and transformed. And so, it's not near; uh, it's not enough just to say, "Oh, bless their heart," and then go on and, and talk about them. It's it's one of those things that we need to have the heart transformed. Because when we transform the heart, you will transform the tongue. It's it's a heart issue that we're talking about here. It's not just outward; it's changing the inward. So if our hearts reveal that there's a fire breaking out, what are we supposed to do? What was the problem with the Israelites? Well, number one, they had three spiritual ailments. Number one, the first spiritual ailment that they had was they had spiritual malnutrition spiritual malnutrition. They were grumbling because they were spiritually hungry. How do we know this? How do I know that you grumble when you're hungry? Because whenever I come home from work and I have not eaten anything, I'm not a very, uh, my children have learned do not come up to dad and ask him to do that thing that he probably would say no to if he's not in a good mood, right? So when I'm hungry, I tend to grumble. And so, they were, clearly, they were not feasting on God's word. They had not Namely, the promise, I am going to give you this land. He promised that to Abraham. And that was passed down through all the generations. They had heard that probably day in and day out. But they had not taken it to heart. And had their hearts, had they received it in their hearts and saturated their hearts with it, they would have been able to see the same thing that Joshua and Caleb saw. So are you suffering, let me ask you this, are you suffering from spiritual malnutrition. What are, you, what are you feeding your heart with? This is something you've got to ask yourself right now. What are you really feeding your heart with? Is it, man, that new toy? If I can just get that new toy, that new job, if I can, if I can just get that new spouse? Are, are you looking for, you know, you're not, you're not satisfied Are you looking, let me ask you something, and it it could be in the church. Like, are you looking for something that doesn't exist? Man, mm. over the years, I have, even in the church, uh, sadly, I have looked for things that do not exist in the church. The church was not meant to supply for me. But I have, like, I've made them these things up here. And they're, they're just not in the Word of God. And they've caused me, at times, over the years, to grumble or to complain about things that are not, that are not things that God had promised. They are wish dreams. They are, and they, at times, they have been superficial preferences. So, that's what you need to ask yourself. What are you, what are you fe- feeding your soul? Is it the Word of God? Or are you saying, man, once I get this, then I'll praise God? Are you waiting for something? Or are you willing to repent today and begin to praise him right now? Is the thing that you're disgruntled about, is it something that you could actually be the solution to? I've got a guy in our church that gave me some great wisdom. A few weeks ago we were talking about what can we do better in the church, and and he told me that when people come to him and his organization and say, man, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. He goes, thank you so much for bringing that to, to me, to my attention. Um, do you have any solutions to the problem? So when you cut, co- now Matt and Aaron did not ask me to do this, but I'm going to, because I'd lo- I mean, if you come to my church, I want you to do it, okay? It's hard for them to do it. But if you've come to Matt and Aaron with, with a problem, okay, I encourage you, don't just come with the, with, the, with the problem, help come up with a solution to the problem. Because there's so many problems in, in churches. It's not like pastors don't know that there's a problem there. But they're looking for people that are willing, that, like Joshua's and Caleb's, that will come alongside and go, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's be work together uh, to, to take care of this problem if it's one that needs to be uh, addressed. Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and be a part of the solution? Or are you just a fault finder? So just try to, to, to determine what it is that you're disgruntled about and if it's something that you need to uh, that needs to be addressed so they were suffering the first thing that they were suffering from was spiritual malnutrition the second thing that they were suffering from was spiritual amnesia they had forgotten they had forgotten what god had already done in their lives they had forgotten abraham what he'd done for abraham isaac jacob joseph the ten mighty plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the water from a rock, manna from heaven, a cloud that guided them by day and a pillar by night. God had delivered them on numerous occasions, but they had spiritual amnesia and they didn't take it to heart. And the cure, the cure for spiritual amnesia is simply to recount what God has already done, where He has already been at work in your life. How he has come through in the past, Take time to to really think about how God's brought you where you are today, especially when you're in the middle of that trial. He's going to bring you through that one also. How he's provided for you, how he's protected protected you. And above all, preach the gospel to yourself. And here's something that, here's here's why these people had a problem. One of the reasons. Because they thought they deserved the promised land. They act like they deserve it. And that can happen in my life. I deserve God's blessings. I deserve heaven. I, whatever. When the gospel is clear, no you don't. I'd, and we sing, I love the way this church sings the gospel. We talk about, I deserve the wrath of God. That's what I deserve. Now we're not, don't stay there, but start there. This is what I deserve. And then remember, But Christ came to save sinners who don't deserve anything but the wrath of God. And as I get that, it begins to soften my heart. So they were suffering from spiritual malnutrition, spiritual amnesia. The third thing is the spiritual hardening of the arteries. So when you are malnourished, and you have amnesia, it's going to lead to a hardened heart, guaranteed every time, and you will become an ungrateful victim. All they can see is what's wrong. And and notice that instead of praising God for all that he had already done and for what he was about to give them, they saw themselves as victims, and they began to blame everybody else for their issues. Even God... They began to blame for their failure to believe in him. And so the prescription for hardened arteries is, number one, and these align with these points here, is, number one, feast on God's word. Meditate on it. Drink it in until it begins to affect the way you think. Number two, remember his work. Get rid of your spiritual amnesia. Remember his work in your life. And then number three, if you want to get rid of your hardened heart, learn to praise him in your circumstances before he delivers you. Praise him before he delivers you. And if you do this, Your hearts, our hearts will soften. Our darkness will turn to light. The fire will be put out. And your tongue will become a river that gives life, that pours forth praise and thanksgiving to God. And that's the fruit that he desires from his people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I praise you Um, as we sang earlier this morning that you are a faithful God. You have never, ever, not once proven yourself to be otherwise but faithful to your people. I thank you for your, your faithfulness, even to allow me to come back and to Share with my church family that you are still at work in Greenville, still bringing life, still bringing hope through the wonderful gospel, the good news that you love your people, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, Lord. I thank you for this word that's found in Numbers, that was written for our benefit that we can help us to learn from what we've seen here, Lord. Help us to, when we are tempted, when we are out walking in places where you have led us, help us to remember your word. Help us to remember your love for us. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, for the person here this morning that is Um, questioning whether all this is true or maybe wanting to give up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd bring encouragement in their hearts, that you'd bring forth salvation, that you'd bring forth repentance, that you would reveal yourself for the good and faithful God that you are. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.